This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Heather Marsh, the author of Binding Chaos, writes about the effect of the past two years on us. Heather says, We are or will be going through the most radical transformation the world has ever seen. People are justly terrified, excited, depressed, heartbroken, and hopeful all at once. The COVID-19 pandemic brought about a massive amount of change to all of our lives. The worst public health crisis since the Spanish flu of 1918 and 19 has changed us all. Not all the changes we experienced during this pandemic were pandemic-related. The insurrection at the Capitol on January the 6th was not public health-related, but was fueled by the policies of the pandemic. The day brought about a change that I have seen in third-world countries, but one that I never thought I would see in the United States of America. Social unrest, policing, and justice were all three brought to the forefront by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, brought about the discussion of racial inequality to the top of the nation's mind. Subsequent incidents have kept these fires of racial inequity burning bright. As the pandemic roared, we saw firsthand the dehumanizing effect of the lack of access to food, health care, including testing and vaccines, had on communities of color. It was seen, and we changed. These two changes were not caused by the pandemic, but happened during a time when our world was topsy-turvy and we were all scrambling to find order. Everything was changing, and it was changing us. Currently, we are experiencing, partially because of the pandemic, the biggest financial crisis, some economists say, since the 1930s. Record high inflation, soaring national debt, and interest rates on the rise. Food and fuel are crippling household budgets, and those of us who strive to help struggling families are finding it more difficult to operate at the level the community needs at the present time. Lots has changed, but some things haven't changed and won't. Our beliefs, our values, and our commitment have not changed. Although we think we believe and we hope we have all changed for the better. Jerry and I are here to help describe the path that brought us here, the discoveries we unearthed, and the path forward in the wake of new learnings, new beginnings, and opportunities during these historic times. Come back and be with us in just a moment. back, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Sorry I'm a little raspy today on The Voice, but I don't know. It may make my accent better or worse, Jerry. I don't know. (laughs) 
Well, as long as I can hear you and our listeners can hear you, we're all good, man. It's good to see you again back in the studio here for a little while. You want to talk about some of the changes during the pandemic, all those months of never being together while we're trying to do the radio show. We made it work, though. We made it work. Yeah. Our, our producer figured out a way to get the quality uh, pretty good. And uh, I have to say, I'm grateful to all our guests who were patient with learning how to download the technology and make it work. And uh, But here we are in the studio. It's great to see you. And uh, you look good. Well, I appreciate it. I, don't, I might sound a little funnier than normal, but um, Jerry, I picked this book up, uh, Binding Chaos, and it talks about the author Heather Marsh. Uh, One of the things it talks about is the unprecedented times that we've gone through together. Sure, everybody thinks about the pandemic, and we should. But there were events inside the pandemic that were disturbing, I guess is probably one of the best words that I could use, that that shaped us too. And, And the author here, Heather Marsh, of Binding Chaos, is talking about those things have bound us together in ways that would have never otherwise happened. So I wanted us to spend a little bit of time unpacking some of that, not just what the pandemic taught us about our capacity and capability, although I think that is noteworthy, and we have discussed that on previous shows, but really what did it teach us about us and about what the future of this work could possibly be that, I think, is truly exciting. You know, it reminds me of my dad. My dad was a man of many sayings, and still is. My dad's alive. I just saw him recently. I uh, celebrated his 80th birthday. But uh, he was a man of many sayings, which has certainly been passed along. All of, all, I, have, I have three siblings, and all of us are full of sayings. But one of the things Dad used to say was, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Sure. I'm, sure, I'm sure he wasn't unique in saying that saying. You know, there was a lot of things over the last couple of years that, that really required leadership. It required people to step into leadership roles maybe they never had before, maybe they never had to do before. Um, and and you spoke about m- a number of those things in, in the monologue, you know, the the social upheaval that, that, that came from, I mean, centuries of oppression and, and still not fixed unfair systems that affect a lot of people. Of course, the safety net is one of those systems that we keep trying to make better. It's it's not a perfect system yet. And uh, and so being called to leadership, both in terms of managing the immediate hunger crisis that happened, you know, during the pandemic and mm-hmm. when everything was shut down and people had to stay home and it, it just changed everybody's habits and lives and ways of thinking about what they were going to do, supply chain issues and all those kinds of things. But also what leadership role do we need to take socially um, as food banks and as strong nonprofits who who people look to for answers and inspiration and sometimes comfort, sometimes, um, you know, just somebody to walk with them on their journey in many cases. You know, what were we called to be and how were we called to be different in this time was, I mean, it is important to reflect on. I think uh, I think many food banks, uh, certainly in Michigan and across the country, had to rediscover their leadership during this time. Mm. And, and I think have been called out uh, appropriately 
to make sure that they're the kind of leaders that that people ought to follow, that that care about equity, that care about community and how their work um, or how our work, I should say, uh, strengthens community in so many different ways. We can't just speak to the basic needs of community, but we've got to speak to the quality of people's lives. And of course, we're convinced that the work we do in basic needs improves the quality of people's lives. But if you're going to talk about that, you got to look at the whole quality of their life and really be present to all of the issues as as they as they are. Right? right. Meeting people where they are is one of our primary principles. What do you like to say? We can't meet them where we wish they were. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't help people where you wish they were. You got to help them where they're at. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, so a lot, lots to unpack in, in that, in that uh, sh- you're sharing right there, Jerry. You talk about a call during these days of of this chaos that we've lived through together in the last two and a half years to, to rediscover our leadership. And I might, I might throw another reword in there, Will, along with rediscover. And I would say that leaders of the, of the anti-hunger movement are being called to redefine their leadership. I think we're, you know, in the, in the, you know, we're only a generation year you know, one generation old as far as the work. I mean, Mm -hmm. the first food banks, I think, were started in 1976 out in Phoenix. And the first one here in Michigan was Gleaners, where you're the CEO in 1977. So we're not very old, but the conversation has sure changed in one generation where it was really about uh, the, the work of being about getting food to people, rescuing food, make sure that food was safe, and now that conversation is more about than just hunger. It's also about the root causes of hunger. And so I think the call here is to rediscover our leadership, but also to redefine it. That we're not here is, you know, I think Kirk Mays at Forgotten Harvest has said it the best way I've ever heard it. Solving hunger is one problem. Creating food security is a different kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's going to take a lot of work from a lot of different sectors in order to make that all come together. And that's part of the reason we started the radio show. You know, four years into it, we are still having many guests who have different approaches and different roles to play in, in creating a safety net that works for everybody the way it's supposed to work. Um, one of the things we're convinced about in all of this, though, is that there will always be a need for the safety net. There will always be, you know, when you look at the things that drive the need for the safety net, it's it's unemployment or underemployment. It's the loss of a breadwinner from the home. It's the management of a health crisis. Those things are going to always be happening, right? But we mm. want to make sure there's not people in the system that have no reason at all to be there, right? And so the the root causes start to address the systemic things that keep people down that, that's not related to something external to themselves except, um, except that they didn't have the opportunity they should have had to be as successful as possible. I will say this, though. When it comes to the safety net, one of the things we believe firmly is that you've got to make sure children are well nourished from from you know even uh, prenatal right. through to uh, finishing high school. Those years of development are so critical, and you pay a steep steep price 
for not making sure every child is nourished. And, you know, um, whether it's the responsibility primarily of parents or whether it's the responsibility of the safety net or whether it's a shared responsibility, we know that ignoring the problem because you think it's somebody else's problem is going to cost you and everyone else significantly more than addressing the need right now. So we know that what we do has has impact beyond today, but that area in particular is one where the evidence is so strong, we've got to make sure children are nourished, regardless of the systems that, uh, that need to be fixed as well. I think that's definitely one of our non-negotiables there, yeah. one of our values. And I think... Um, to close this segment here, you know, one of our sayings that we talked about a minute ago, you got to help people where they're at, not where you wish they were. And that's particularly true of children. Yeah, absolutely right. Jerry and I are back to continue to unpack this binding chaos that we've lived through together. And many of you have lived through with us and what we've learned and what it means for the future. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks, everyone. We're back with you, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, lots of um, things we lived through in the last two and a half years. The pandemic was one. We've talked about that on past shows, 47% increase in our distributions um, in a time when this state really needed the food banks to step up, and the food banks did. But there were other things that happened during the time of the pandemic that were just as pivotal, that is, that is a catalyst for us to rediscover and redefine what our leadership in the community looks like. And one of those certainly was the, the social unrest, the policing, the justice issues that came out of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Lots of pressure that we had not experienced before uh, in in the food bank world, I would say, that revolved around uh, equality and inequity. Yeah, and and a real desire from many, many different people for organizations to take a stand. You know, that, that it was a time when action was really important. Um, but, but, you know, my belief then and my belief continues to be that, that words and actions are not the same thing. There was a lot of statements coming out at the time and everyone was making statements, you know, and, and, and while I, I don't want to minimize the importance of, of making a statement, um, when I started to really look hard at what, what did the food bank need to say? And, and as a leader of the food bank, were there things that I needed to say, um, at the time. And, and, you know, I didn't make a statement right away. I, I, I talked to a lot of people. I talked to the people that we were serving. I talked to some of my team. I talked to some of my board members. I talked to other leaders from around the country. I talked to a lot of my African-American friends and colleagues about the kinds of things that they would hope to hear from an organization like Leaners or from me personally as somebody they know. And maybe our listeners have remember this, but, you know, I've raised two African-American children from infancy mm-hmm. um, who are now 
uh, well past college and, and doing well in their lives and certainly have had a lot of thoughts and experiences around the issue of race and, and social injustice. But even with those experiences and a lifetime of, of working in various ways to try to address inequities, I still felt like um, it was it was more important to understand how what we said could be turned into action, how it would mean so much more to people if it wasn't just something we put on our website, but but something we could really seriously look at and say, how do we contribute to a better world? How do we how do we in practical terms, whether it's through hiring practices or the diversity of our board or or you know, or, you know, the way we treat each other, even as staff, how do we, how do we really come to grips with the fact that this world is not an equal place and people have such different experiences within it that, that make them who they are. So, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of words I know, but it was a really fraught time. And, and at the end of that time, we did end up making a statement. I, and I think Jerry, before you go into that statement and, and the results of that statement, I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that this was not a heart issue. This was a head issue. What's the right thing to say? When's the right time to say it? And and you, I think, were really going to great lengths to avoid simply virtual signaling. That's right. You Which know. I thought was the worst thing we could do. I mean, when you look at the people we serve and how many of them are affected by social injustice, to to pretend at any of this just felt terribly wrong. Yeah. Terribly wrong. We and and so we had to say Black Lives Matter and we did. And it was the first part of our statement. The very first thing we said was Black Lives Matter. And I know that that's a sensitive statement because it triggers a lot of things in people about, well, don't all people matter? But the very point of the saying is, yes, all people matter, but it appears as if black lives don't matter as much. Mm -hmm. And so the saying Black Lives Matter isn't about inequality. It's about recognizing that because of the social injustice that exists in our society, we've got to say, if black lives matter, we should be treating people differently. Mm -hmm. Right. So we make the statement black lives matter because we want to treat people fairly and rightly, not because they matter more than anybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's an important distinction. And so you say, well, wait a minute, this is food first Michigan. So, you know, you're going to talk about how this worked its process through the organization and and not just cleaners, but through our national organization, Feeding America as well. But in the bottom line here, let me just give the, 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 the lead away, right? It changes how we do the work. We want to make sure that the people who are who need the food are getting the food. And the way to and the only way to look through that is it's to see how are we distributing this food and and if we're going to treat people more fair so that the playing field gets a level of how we're treating everyone else is being treated in society then i think that that's the 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 result of it is that we get better at what we do and we get more effective at getting the right food to the right people at the right time in the right place. Yeah, I think that's really well said, doctor. If it doesn't change you, 
if the if the virtue that you're espousing doesn't change you, it's not much of a virtue, is it? <laughs> it's not very much. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, Jerry, what was the next step? I mean, you you waited. You then you the statement came out. You worked through your board, and I know that this has caught the attention of not only the folks in the community but of some national people who've watched you do this work. So unpack that a little bit for us. So so we were be trying to be authentic, or we were being authentic. We weren't just trying. We were actually being very authentic in our work and asking ourselves some questions about, you know, how, how, do, how do these social justice issues impact the safety net and, and our role as a leader in the safety net? And, and where does our, our monitoring of that need to begin. And it really starts with governance, right? We, you, you have to have a board that represents the people you serve. You have to have a board that represents voices in the community that can hold you accountable to organizational standards that are higher than um, than what they might be, right? right? I mean, and it's the whole, one of the biggest reasons for boards of directors is to make sure that organizations are holding strong and true to their mission, and so, so our board came up with a with a policy around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, which basically said, we are going to be committed to this. We are going to hold the organization accountable to this. We are what we are going to have, not just education sessions, but we are going to keep learning how diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice should be affecting our work, and we are not going to stop learning until systems are fixed, which could be a long time from now, right? Um, and so when, when, you, when you start down the path of your board saying, we're going to look at ourselves, we're going to make sure we are a diverse board, we're going to make sure that, that we are handling our business in a just way that we are calling the organization to higher standards when it comes to looking at the communities that are served well and communities that are underserved and making sure that there are no um, inadvertent disparities in that, um, really doing assessments of community need that involve um, every aspect of race and ethnicity and, I mean, age and gender and many other aspects of equality. You know, it started with our board saying we're, we are going to hold ourselves and the organization accountable to those standards. And so from there, and I, I will say we just had a board meeting and, um, and this came up at the board meeting because they bring it up. They say, okay, tell us what you're doing. Tell us tell us what we should be doing. Tell us how we should be working together to continue to advance this. And and um so the the work that my team has been doing internally around developing a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice council that's made up of employees, all of whom had uh, the ability to say, I want to be part of that council. Um, and I got to give a big shout out for the Michigan Roundtable for uh, Diversity equity and inclusion. They, they're a phenomenal organization, and they have walked with us on this path. Um, and Frida Sampson, who's been the leader from there, has just been wonderful. And Judith McNeely internally um, on my team, the two of them have really done a phenomenal job of of taking this and making it real internally. They're talking about microaggressions. I know that's a word that's like, what does that mean? Um, but, you know, to, to, to make it real simple, it means when you say something that you think sounds innocent, but it ain't. <laughs> right. So I think sometimes those 
microaggressions statements are fueled by an implicit bias that we have that we don't know that we have. Yeah. So I know, Jerry, that, that there's been some folks in the community that have caught hold of this. I want you to take a break for a second and unpacking this, and let's pick it up on the other side of this break and talk about uh, what one of these, which is really a national funder, that has come to you to, to talk about this issue of equity and, and how it's playing out in the food bank world. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. Binding Chaos, Jerry, is a book by Heather Marsh that talks about the times that we've lived through and certainly one of the most most upsetting was the death of George Floyd and how that brought social justice and, um, or just justice even, but social justice in particular, uh, the idea of policing and, but the really the issue of inequity to the top of the nation's mind, and 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 we've held it there for some time, um, and I don't want it to go away. I don't think you do either, and and one of the ways that that it's not going away is because of the story you just told on before we went to break in the last segment. Your board of directors has has adopted this as a value and they're asking you as their CEO to report out on what are we doing about these issues around inequity. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, believe a lot of what we have to do is learn. We have to be open-minded. We have to learn, you know, that, that our experience does not frame the whole world. Right. That it only frames a little piece of the world that we know and grow up in. And and there's a whole world of experience out there that we have to learn. And it's OK to learn. It doesn't make you wrong that you have to learn. You know no. what I mean, um, okay. but it, it might make you ignorant. <laughs> God knows I've been. But all that to say. Uh, so. So in this process, um, we got a call from Marietta Daniel Eccles, who who works at the Kellogg Foundation, and she was interested in the food bank's uh, point of view on equity. and And so I I got on the phone with her and I said, you know, we're we're developing that. I mean, you know, we certainly want to be fair and reasonable in everything that we do. We've always wanted to make sure that food was distributed to everyone who needs it, regardless of any consideration. And we certainly believe that anyone who's food insecure or hungry ought to have food. I mean, you. You know, and we don't we don't take anyone out of that equation. We don't think about deserving in those kinds of way. But but she really pressed me harder than that and said, you know, Jerry, I, I think that what you guys are trying to do at Gleaners is the right thing. It's directionally what we want people to do. Take this seriously reflect and create a point of view on this that can that can bring about justice and that's going to take more than just talking about it it's going to take specific actions and training and and things like a board policy and an internal committee that's looking at this and then bringing those learnings out and sharing it with others and continuing to educate your whole team and 
and your partner network and the people that you're working with so that the the values of equity can can grow and prosper if you will mm-hmm. um as people continue to be open to learning how they can do more and better for the people that they're serving or the people that work alongside of them or the people they're supervising or, or who or whomever is involved in their life. So so they actually funded a, uh, several efforts um, that we've gone through to help be better at this. And we're still new enough at it that I'm not going to claim any, you know, giant um, outcomes yet. But I will say this. I think that having experts help people who really know what they're doing. And and again, the Michigan Roundtable has been super helpful to us, but also our staff person, Judith McNeely, has brought so much depth of understanding to the issue of how to dialogue about injustice and inequity. Um, having people that, that really know what they're talking about prepares you in ways to have conversations that that there's a lot of pain for people you know and there's a lot of emotional upset and there's it's it's not a it's not just a simple matter you've got to be prepared for the emotional truths of people's lives to come out and and that doesn't come without practice and it doesn't come without some readiness um, at least not in the best possible ways but once you get through that um, you can really come to a, a better understanding of the difference you can make in people's lives when you can be present to those areas that have been unjust um, and and allow them to be what they are while you're working on the things you need to work on, whatever those things are. Right. Well, very interesting that Kellogg would approach you guys, uh, who this has been a value for them for some years now, and say, we like the way you're doing this. And again, you know, let's go back to a few segments ago when you said all of this chaos that we've lived through the last two and a half years has called food banks as a strong nonprofit in the community to reevaluate, rediscover, redefine what is our leadership. And some would say that that the issue of equity isn't isn't in the, it has no role, it has no place in emergency food. And to that, Jerry, what would you say? Well, when you look at the people that were most likely to get sick, most likely to be hospitalized, most likely to have to stay in the hospital, and most likely to perish as a result of COVID, there's a lot of people of color there. Right. And and we know that managing a health crisis is one of the key reasons that people need emergency food. So the bottom line is the inequities of our world does create a more desperate situation for some people than others. And the safety net has got to account for that. We have got to be present to people um, who are going to be more adversely affected by everything because of the, the systems that keep them down more than others. Well, and I just have to say a shout out to Kim Trent and to Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist and their work on the Poverty Task Force that brought a lot of this to light that you just described in the, in the, in the pains, the, the death throes of the pandemic early days. You could see the inequity, and it was about access. And I don't think that, you know, we can't look at that in, in regard to access to healthy food 
much differently. And that has caused us to think different about our work, um, to think about, you know, we, we, part, we have our, our pantry network that's great, 2,800 statewide that we work through. We serve every county in the nation, every county in the nation, Feeding America does. The Food Bank Council and our seven food banks, we serve every county in Michigan. We do that through a network of 2,800 different pantries. But, you know, it might be surprised that 2,800 might not be exactly in the right place in every community. And so we have to look at this and, and see it through a different way, a different lens. And maybe the social vulnerability is that lens of the future where we look at not only our work, but we also look at all of the assets that come to the state from the federal government to address food security. And we make sure those are aligned so that there is an equitable distribution of these assets, emergency food assets, for the people who need it most. Yeah, I think it's hard for anybody to ask for help as well. I think people who are food insecure tend to wait too long to get help. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this several times. They wait too long because they're embarrassed. I think if there are other stigmas attached to you in your life, things that you feel sensitive about, um, it's even harder Right. And so so vulnerable populations are often um, missing out on on the help they should get because, well, you know what? Accessing those systems, you have to admit some things that aren't comfortable to admit. And you don't want people to think that you're needy and you don't want people to think that that you're a person, you know, that you're that person, right. if you will. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say, though. I am inspired by the people we serve, by and large, and 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 I know I I say those words, and and I and I'm sure there's people listening who are going really. The the bottom line is this: when you start learning people's stories, and you start to get to know them, and you start understanding the things they overcome on a day in day out basis, and the choices they've made so that they could make the most of the life they have, you begin to really appreciate how amazing people are, how much strength they have, and walking alongside of them truly is an investment that's worth making. It's it's one that, that gets returned to you, certainly in the moment, emotionally, immediately, but over time as you walk with people and, and see their, their life um, improve, although that's not quite it either. It's There's a grace to this. There is something very special about walking with people through a difficult time. Maybe that's what the book is about. You know, what what's binding about this is we've walked with each other through a difficult time. And when you get to the end of that time, you, you end up at a place of deeper respect, at least you hope you can end up there. I know we're in sort of a politically polarizing time too, so maybe there's something to be unpacked on that front. But But I mean, I certainly find that um, as we think about what are the long-term solutions for community, I am more committed to the safety net than I've ever been, and I've been really committed to this for a long time. And and the value that food brings people, the immediate relief from stress and and the physical discomfort of hunger, the the feeling of being cared for that that comes from a system that takes care of you when you need to be cared for. Um, the, 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 the feeling of joy people have when they know they can feed their kids and they thought maybe they wouldn't be able to. I mean, those things are powerful, not just for today, 
but for what's going to happen tomorrow. And people's own faith in themselves is bolstered. And it, it truly is remarkable to see how the safety net helps more than just today. Well, we'll close this segment with a quote from Booker T. Washington talking about the folks, that the families that we serve and the inspiration that you receive from them. Booker T. Washington said, success should not be defined by what someone accomplishes, but what they overcome in order to accomplish. Hey, Jerry Bassan, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. time for a last thought. Last thought is I can't wait to hear your food for thought, so let's have it. Here it is. Mary Curie, a nuclear scientist, said, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so we can fear less. Gaining insight, understanding, perspective, and eventually wisdom Towards a better tomorrow is the work of leaders who care and have courage. The events of the past two and a half years offers us, at least in the work of food security, the once in a lifetime opportunity to have a strategic reset of not only who we are, but how we do this work. Leaders will rise for this genuine occasion and all of us will be measured by not only what we did, but what we did differently. There are some truths that cause us to change and some that cause us to hold fast. And one of those for us is food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.